Kennedy Paradox, Chapter 18. Coconut Grove, Miami, Florida, March 8, 1961, 8.30 a.m. My name is Clarence Smirnich, said the fluffy, gray-haired man in the doorway. Patch opened his eyes in the sunshine through the barred window. A wiry tree with thick green foliage spread across the courtyard. Patch sat up and faced a slightly overweight guy, now two steps into the room. The man shut the door. Patch stroked his beard. What is this place? A holding area? Safe house? Right on both counts. Two questions. Shoot. My fiance. In Miami. She's fine. Patch swung his feet over the edge of the bed. I hope so. Then the most logical question, Mr. Smirnidge, is how long will I be here? That depends on what kind of operative you are. As of right now, we feel as if you are holding back vital information. Patch stood for the first time and stretched. Apparently, Smirnidge didn't know about his meeting with Rugano. I told you about Higgins, didn't I? Right. After the fact. Not correct. You guys had a fair shot at Higgins and you let him get away. Touché! Smirnidge's pacing made Patch nervous. Mr. Kincaid, you have the names of what you call future terrorists. Who are they? Patch laughed and walked up to him. If I give you names, you will eliminate me. Not so fast. A man like you with no background could be very valuable to intelligence operatives. You'll excuse me if I don't believe you. I've been in the Air Force for a dozen years. I know who I can trust, but I also verify. Smanard's lips smiled. Be assured you will not see me after today. My assignment is to connect you with the man you say is your father, Colonel Robert G. Kincaid, Sr. I am his son. His son is in Japan for now. How's that? He may be called to the phone. I don't ever remember being called to the phone. Smirnich Lewis smiled. They said you'd stick to your time travel cover. What's the truth? Smirnich grinned. I see. He opened the door and motioned Patch into the hallway. You must have been grateful to the young lady that got your medical attention when your eye was injured. Patch stopped with Smirnich outside the living room. Three Cubans in military fatigue stood with M1 rifles near the entrance in the kitchen doorway. My eye was saved, Mr. Smirnidge, because a Marine put ice on my eye and got me to a hospital. Oh, really? I guess I had bad information. Right. At the kitchen table, a crew-cut young man worked a series of phones. Smirnidge turned to Patch. We've established contact with the naval base at Aksugi. Colonel Kincaid is being brought to the phone. He does not know the nature of this call. Thank you, Mac. Will you admit your true identity if Colonel Kincaid disputes your story? Patch studied the beige rotary phones. Then he looked into Smirnidge's blue eyes. You will not be able to make contact with my father, and believe me, having lost him in 1979, nothing would be greater than to talk with him again. Smirnidge winced and exhaled. Mr. Kincaid, the line is open, isn't it, Mac? Admiral, this is McClellan again. Just checking the line status. He nodded at Smirnidge. Line is secure, Clarence. Well, Mr. Kincaid, do you want to go to the phone? Patch's heart pounded at the prospect of talking to his father again. 
Verbinski won't let me. Then you're Russian, said Smirnich, and the Cuban at the door lifted his gun. No, I'm not. The Korbinski self-consistency principle. Never heard of it. You're starting to annoy me, Mr. Kincaid. If an event exists in time, then an event would give rise to a paradox. There would be a probability of zero of that event happening. My father will not be on that phone with me. Get on that goddamn phone, Kincaid. I'm sick of this crap. Real sick of it. Mac lifted the phone. Patch put it to his ear, but he heard a dial tone. He shrugged his shoulders and handed the phone to Mac. I told you. How the hell did you do that? Asked Mac as he gave the receiver to Smirnage. Get the naval base back on the line. Yes, sir. Search Kincaid. Shouted Smirnage to the Cuban at the living room doorway. Patch raised his hands and the man quickly checked his clothing. No pasa nada. What do you have there, Mac? Something keeps kicking it out. Also, part of that paradox is the possibility of creating a new timeline. Kincaid, you're going to stay in this house until hell freezes over. If I have to get a military radio, I will. The result won't change if it's a paradox. Why now? Said Smyrnage, pointing at Patch. You think we're just going to take this bullshit, Kincaid? I've got people who will shrink your mind like a prune on a hot sidewalk. Patch pressed his lips as the emotion churned. Not my fault. Told him if they got me to an actual exile camp, I would release names. Smirnich thought as his face reddened again. You don't tell us what to do. We've got a world of crisis brewing and you're making up all this. I, for one, am going to request they beat the living shit out of you. He looked down at the red-haired Mac. What's the story? Lying to Japan is out. Ah, screw it. Smirnich opened the outside door and then slammed it. Patch noticed Mac watched him closely. All you zombies. What exactly does that mean, asked Patch. I read it in fantasy and science fiction magazine. Heinlein wrote it. See, this young guy goes back in time. <laughs> oh, really? Asked Patch. Yeah, except, he grinned. Rather embarrassing, but, well, he becomes his own mother and father. I agree with you, Mac. If you get Colonel Kincaid on that line or any line... Mac's big blue eyes beamed as if he had just learned something new. I'll take that challenge. And get me that magazine, Mac. I'd like to read that story. Two years ago, I think it was February or March. I'll get it for you. Paradox exists, Mac. It's an immutable reality, I think. Coconut Grove, Miami, Florida, March 8th, 1961. 3 p.m. Patch leaned toward the Motorola console TV when President Kennedy began a news conference from the State Department Auditorium. A new group of Cubans assumed positions at the House entrance about an hour ago. In front of two American flags, Kennedy arrived with a flashy smile that made Patch lean forward. He remembered Jack Kennedy in his late 70s, white-haired and New England voice. Two microphones faced the young president just over the presidential seal attached to the podium. Kennedy carried his notes and himself with a flair that Patch found compelling. I have uh, several announcements to make. First, I want to say a word in behalf of Radio Free Europe, which is now making its annual appeal for support from all our citizens. For more than 10 years, this enterprise has been reaching out to people in Europe, Eastern Europe, with truth and devotion to liberty as its message. 
or this radio is at work, with listeners numbering in the millions, the competition of ideas in these countries is kept alive. The individual Americans, by giving to Radio Free Europe, may be sure that they are bringing a beacon of light into countries to which millions of us are tied by kinship and whose hope for freedom all of us must share. This is a peaceful concern, but a firm one. Radio Free Europe needs and deserves our generous help. Secondly, Mrs. Kennedy and I are giving an afternoon reception at the White House next Monday for the Latin American ambassadors to the United States, the Council of the OAS, as well as members of Congress concerned with Latin American affairs. I will take the opportunity at the close of the reception to make a major statement of some of my views about the problems of the Americas. Almond tobacco preceded three American soldiers entering through the outside kitchen door. Patch did not recognize any of them, but he suspected they belonged to the same intercept group. The first guy, as tall as a basketball player, had a U.S. paratrooper badge sewn into his dusty fatigues. He tucked his pistol in a side holster. The second guy wore a baseball cap and fatigues, open at the neck, and smoked almond tobacco in his pipe. The third soldier had short hair, a tight mustache, and sideburns, said the paratrooper. Then he caught sight of Kennedy's news conference. And this is the last statement. The Cuban Red Cross, the American Red Cross, and U.S. Navy today combined in a three-way effort to combat a polio breakout in Guantanamo City, Cuba, some 31 miles from the naval base. Early today, the Red Cross director at the U.S. naval base from southeastern Cuba had a phone call from a male Red Cross nurse in Guantanamo City saying there was an outbreak of polio with three children dead and 10 more stricken. All available vaccine had been used by the hospitals in Guantanamo City. An aid was needed to give vaccine for at least 100 more children, which they were unable to obtain. The Red Cross director at the base got permission from Admiral Edward J. O'Donnell to send all the vaccine which could be spared. She carried and sent enough vaccine for 160 first inoculations to the Northeast Gate, where she met the Cuban Red Cross ambulance where the transfer was made. I want to take this opportunity and this incident to emphasize again that our difference of opinion on matters affecting Cuba are not with the Cuban people. Rather, we desire the closest and harmonious and friendly and most sympathetic ties with them. Logan, make contact with Guantanamo. Anything Intercept can do to expedite that polio vaccine. Understood, he said quickly and exited the kitchen. Mr. President, uh, I'm sure you're aware, sir, of the tremendous mail response that your news conferences on television and radio has produced. Uh, there are many Americans who believe that in our manner of questioning or seeking your attention, uh, that we're subjecting you to some abuse or a lack of respect. I wonder, sir, in this light, could you tell us generally your feelings about your press conferences to date and uh, your feelings about how they're conducted? Well, you're subject me to some abuse, but not to uh, any lack of respect, I don't <laughs> Press room erupted in laughter. Patch understood what his father meant about Kennedy's charm. I must say that uh, I do uh, know that uh, there are difficulties, uh, but if, uh, and I know that it places burdens on members of the press to have to stand up, particularly when I'm not able to recognize them, 
On the other hand, if it were changed uh, and one member stood up, uh, then uh, perhaps uh, that would not be a satisfactory uh, device. So that uh, I think that uh, along with the old uh, saying about don't take down a fence till you know why it was put up, I would say that we should stay with what we now have. Mr. President, the approach to Mr. a President. peaceful settlement in Laos seems to have uh, run into a dead end with the rejection by two of the proposed members of the Three Nation Neutral Commission. And the Soviet Union apparently still insists upon the approach of an ICC action there and, a, and an international conference. I wonder if in your review of the situation you've reached any conclusions as to what step the United States should now take to avoid uh, the expansion of the war in Laos. Well, the United States uh, had been hopeful that uh, it would be possible to set up uh, some uh, procedures where uh, neutral nations could uh, guarantee the uh, security of Laos and uh, also isolate it from uh, military pressures on both sides. The, uh, we're going to have to consider what uh, other procedures might be followed to achieve that goal. But this is a matter now of a discussion with uh, our friends and uh, with others, and I'm hopeful that uh, we can achieve a result which will bring uh, stability to Laos, permit it to maintain its independence, uh, bring peace to the area, and uh, uh, self-determination. Kennedy talked about neutrality and some of the neutral nations guaranteeing the security of Laos. Neutrality, my ass, said Patrick. These people don't know what it's like to be on the ground. You'll have Cuba neutral, for Christ's sakes, said the pipe smoker. Take it you guys have come here to get me to talk, said Patch as Kennedy continued. Patrick looked at Kennedy and then at Patch. Direct, I like that. Yeah, who the hell are you? He stood and extended his hand. Captain Patch Kincaid. Captain? Asked Patrick as Patch shook the other man's hand. Yes, sir. Captain, I'll go along with that. Look, if you wish to watch the president... No, I'm okay. I understand you want to be brought to a training camp. What makes you think there are training camps? Patch still believed that no one knew about his meeting with Regano. You guys are the ones who are invading Cuba. Patrick looked at the other guy and then stepped forward. I'm uh, Sloan Wilbur. Sloan? He slowly removed the pipe from his mouth. You want to find your so-called head terrorist. Why? Are you supposed to link up with this guy? Only if I can kill him. Well, shit. Other than he's probably a commie. He blew up American cities in 1986. Wilbur smoked with the pipe in his mouth. That shit isn't going to work with us, Kincaid. You can save yourself a lot of pain and suffering if you just tell us the truth. Patch said nothing and stared at the president. Kennedy talked about having discussions with Khrushchev. On the assumption that uh, Mr. Thompson has by now caught up with Mr. Khrushchev, I wonder if you could tell us the contents of your message to the Soviet Premier and what the thinking was behind this message at this time. Well, I would think that it uh, would be more properly uh, a matter that uh, would uh, best uh, be left to uh, Mr. Thompson and Mr. Khrushchev. It is a letter to me, and I think it would be un discourteous and unwise to uh, reveal such a letter without any indication that it's been received and some response given. As far as the purpose of the letter, the purpose of the letter was to give, uh, in general, uh, some of my views on the questions which uh, are at issue uh, now around the world and also to indicate my strong confidence in 
Ambassador Thompson to speak for me and for uh, our country at this time and any discussions he might, might have with Mr. Khrushchev. I would personally cut off the balls of that little Stalingrad bastard. Then he turned to Patch. First priority, we have a radio transmitter that will be brought into this house. We'll get Colonel Kincaid on the radio and blow your story to smithereens. Good luck, he said as Logan returned. I told them we will volunteer as many guys as they needed to distribute the vaccine. What happens now, asked Patch. Patrick removed two thin paper transmissions from his pocket and handed them to Patch. The crew caught Higgins, hugged Fidel Castro. In the next photo, he walked up wide stone steps to a public building. It's the traitor, my friend, buddy-buddy with Fidel. We have teams on the ground who will attempt to kill Higgins. I just want to be brought to a training camp. I know my guys at Double Cross it for sure. Just tell us who he is, said Patrick, and then you kill me. Patrick took the photos and tucked them in his pocket. We'll be back with the transmitter. The other two soldiers quickly exited. Patch did not regret withholding Carlos's name from the soldiers. Traficante, a more prudent choice, had the means to kill Castro, but the intelligence agencies would pressure Patch until they got answered. 